The scripture for today's sermon comes from Matthew 25, 14 through 30. The word of God speaks to us. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have uh, been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word to us. Well, good morning. My name is Chad, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it is a joy to get to to walk with this church. It's a joy to get to worship together as a church, coming out of the summer and our rhythms of grace and staring down what we've got in the fall with 1 Corinthians. I just have to tell you, like as a church, I am very excited for the fall. I'm very excited for like this development cohort that we're about to start here this upcoming weekend. That feels like a really important thing for our church. This 1 Corinthians, look at this, this church in Corinth and how it holds up a mirror to us in so many ways. And yet, uh, like, it, it's such a good guide. Like, it, it just feels like a really huge thing. And just as we, as we think about 1 Corinthians, I, I'm reminded, sometimes we've been reading through it, I'm reminded Paul never had to deal with HDMI issues. Like, he had it so easy. He never had to deal with screens that flicker and go out and all those things. It's like, like as we step into that, I, re- I want to remind you as we read 1 Corinthians, like, Paul, man, what are you complaining about? Like, this is not so hard. It's actually the, the buckwild nature of that church in Corinth is such a blessing for us to see that God brings beauty from brokenness. We need to see that again and again and again. We need to see that. 
I, I want to give you a little backstory on what we're doing today because 1 Corinthians is next week, and I just encourage you, what an opportunity to invite someone you've been praying for, invite a neighbor, invite someone in your life who needs the hope of Jesus. Like, it is on display page after page in 1 Corinthians. Please be thinking, like, God, who would you give me opportunity to talk to this week? And I, I yeah, all but guarantee there are opportunities we're usually blind to them. We're usually blind to them. And so like, just ask God to put those before you and help you see. This week, we take, we take one week where we're going to talk about something we're doing this fall. We, and let me just give you the backstory on that. We, over the past couple of years, the elders of Frontline Broadly, all five congregations, have just been praying and asking God to help us know, help us understand how to walk with people and help them walk with Jesus. So all of us, that we would be people walking with Jesus. How do we do that better? How do we help people to walk out with Jesus? And, and some of the things that came out of that, those prayers, those readings, those conversations, surprised us. It surprised us because one of the things that started kind of bubbling to the surface is that we are a people, whether you are a follower of Jesus or you're not, and we're glad you're here if you're not, like whether, wherever you're at, we're a people who are influenced by culture all around us more than we recognize. And there are factors in that. Not, uh, rarely do those things get on the news as a, uh, something. But there are factors that are deforming us that we actually need the word of God to counterform what we're just soaking in. I think of it as like a, a crock pot in which the longer it soaks, the more flavors it picks up. And, and we're living in a crock pot in which whether we're trying to or not, you could like say, I'm, I'm only going to listen to wholesome things or I'm only gonna watch these, these things and not those things. Like you are absorbing, absorbing the flavors of this world. I am the same. And we can't just passively be just like continue to absorb all the time. And so that led us to say, like, we've got to be formed, counterformed from this world around us and what that is. And over the course of time, over the last two years, we really sensed God putting his finger on five areas of deformation and areas to counterform us. And this leads to this counterformation area that we want to walk through. I'll, I'll let you know what those are. They're not secret and they, they probably won't surprise you. We've already talked about one in the spring. We talked about the autonomous self, the spirit of our age of autonomy. This is me. I, I make the decisions for my family. I make the decisions for my life. It's all, it, this is my world, and I get to decide all of these things. The autonomy that we live in in our culture, but the counterformation to that, the actual answer to that is the, the authority, the safety and beauty of the authority of God. That he is king. And that is actually for our good. There's a loss of truth that we live in. Who knows what true is right now? We go, you hear people go around and like, well, that's true for you, but that might not be true for them. Or that's my truth. I'm living out my truth. And you're like, what on earth are we talking about anymore? Like, what are we talking about? We are being formed by a culture or deformed by a culture uh, that has no understanding of truth anymore. And yet the Bible, page after page, says there is an objective truth in this world. 
an objective truth. And, and it's not only just like facts to know. That truth is coupled with the love of God on display. We live in a culture of, that is post-Christian in its sexual ethics. It's just said, no, those things are not for us. And yet the, the, the spirit of God, the Bible lays out a Christian sexual ethic that is more than just, oh, don't do this or that. Like it's a parody to say Christians believe don't do this or that. Like that, the Bible calls us to something far more beautiful, far more beautiful than what we're just soaking up by culture. And then we, we are, are hearing all about identity these days, and yet almost no one can identify identity. No, how do we define identity anymore? Where do you find your identity anymore? That can just be picked up anywhere at any time and then changed at any time in any moment. And so identity is something that the Lord and the Bible speaks to again and again. We're being deformed by all these things in the world, but we need the formative work of God in our lives. Those things are important to us. And and that leads us to what we're talking about today. The deforming work of our culture, a culture that is a crockpot stewing uh, around consumerism. And, and it just the, the notion that stuff will make me happy and stuff will satisfy me. It, we need the actual counterformation. The only vaccination to this is, is the actual concept, the biblical concept of stewardship. We might be thinking that, like, like, man, if I just had less stuff, if I live a more minimalistic life, if I would just find only the things that spark joy in my life and clean up my closet, then I'll be a happier, better person. But that doesn't inoculate us from consumerism. And we're talking about more than money. Remember, we've had this for a few weeks now. We're, we're not just talking about money. We're actually talking about our hearts and our minds. Uh, the accumulating of stuff, the need for stuff to satisfy me when God has redefined how we're to interact with him in his ways. Stewardship is what we need. It actually leads us to ask these big questions like, what are we here for? Are we just here to pile up the most stuff and then we win? Are we here to accumulate the most stuff and then present those to God? Uh, teaser alert, no, the answer is no to that. But it isn't just like, what are we here for? It's what is all this driving to the ancients referred to it as the telos, like the direction of our life, the, the direction that all of this is heading. Where is not just my life heading, but where is this world heading in this? In, in the, the idea, the counterforming argument of stewardship actually helps us to see and answer those questions. So today what we want to do is look at this one parable in the midst of a lot of parables. It's this one parable at the end of Matthew and let that do its forming work in our lives. Let that do uh, what it was intended to do is to help us see. We need to see. So we want to see a couple of things today. We want to see that faithful stewardship, faithful stewardship redefines how we are to live. And then faithful stewardship redefines the end that we are living towards. So I want to pause. I want to pray for you. I I want you to pray for me. And that we just ask that God would give us eyes to see this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you. Help us to, to be people who see with fresh eyes today. 
Maybe some of this has grown stale. Maybe some of this feels flavorless. Maybe it's a, we, we come to it and we're like, oh, I've read that story before, or I've read that here, and I've heard those things. Help us to see you, Lord, clearly and to respond accordingly, to think less about sitting up straight and more about this great God who calls us to himself. Or we need you for that. And so be at work in us, forming us today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let me, let me start right here. Here is a starting point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay bare myself. Like from the earliest memories I have of my life, I've worn glasses. I've worn glasses my whole life. Like you don't know me as that because at this point I'm addicted to my contacts. I wear contacts. But like the big picture is that I need corrective lenses to see. If I don't have my lenses, I'm like, I'm in real trouble. I'm in real trouble off of this. Uh, recent, and a number of you might have the same thing. Like corrective lenses help us to see with some measure of clarity. I'm also a man of a certain age where it's like nine o'clock at night and my eyes don't work anymore. I'm a man that, like, I don't have this, like, bank of lights at my house, but if I don't have some lights on at the house, I cannot see. It's like, how am I supposed to read that? That's not possible anymore. That's not possible. Uh, but, like, maybe you recognize some of those things. Maybe you're having some of that in your own life. But there's bigger stuff. The other day I caught a story of a, a boy who, through an injury, uh, was blind, and now he is a competitive downhill skier and not on, like, groomers for all of you skiers out there. Like crazy stuff that none of us should try. He's blind, literally blind. His dad talks to him on a walkie-talkie to guide him down this thing. It's amazing. But this past week, I, I, I found myself kind of deep dive YouTube rabbit trail around people who through science and technology were able to see for the very first time. Unless, unless you are just like a heartless orc. Like, what are you doing? Like, unless you have no heart in you, you are weeping when you're watching this. Like, this guy sees his children for the very first time. This wife sees her husband for the very first time. Like, I mean, it's just amazing to see this. And I bring all this up because, like, I, my fear is that so many of us go through the motions of church week after week after week, and we're never actually seeing the beauty that we're called to. We sing the songs, we say the verses, we, we, we sit up straight, as straight as we can. We go through these things, and yet we, we don't actually know. It's like, God, you've called us to this life that is unlike any other, and I'm not experiencing it. And I would like to suggest that maybe some of it has to do with what we've been soaking in, and we need the counterformation of who we are in God's sight. We need this. We actually need it. For example, Psalm 63 gives this picture. This is the picture it paints. And maybe you could, you could, in your mind's eye, imagine it, but you've never actually experienced it. It says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And so I bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied I love how one translation says it, as with the richest of foods, as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joy. Like, I just ask, like, have you 
experienced the satisfaction of God. As with the richest of foods. And, and I think this passage actually speaks to us around this. I believe it's because we go to church and we go through these things. We do the things and yet we're still being formed by all sorts of other factors. We're being deformed by other factors. And so let's pick it up right here in Matthew 25, and we'll jump in on this, and we'll just kind of start working through it. And we need to catch a couple of things. We need to see clearly, and we need to catch like the nature of these relationships right off the bat. So read with me verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now, this is really important for us. To catch everything, to see clearly, this is important for us, and it leads to our first point. Our first point, faithful stewardship redefines how we are to live. How we are to live. God moves us from bondage to freedom. We, we think we have freedom, and yet... God's calling us to real life and real freedom. And it's right here. Like, you've got to see the nature of the relationship. There's a master. It's not you and it's not me. There's a master in this story. And then there are those that are referred to as servants. We'll get back to that in a second. There are servants, and then there are things in the story, right? And it is entrusted. There's also property. And we need to understand, like, the servants never own the property. It's not, it's not given to them. It's not a allowance that they can do with whatever they want to. It's not inheritance. They're like, hey, it's yours. Go sell it. Do whatever you want. No, it gives us a really important word. It's entrusted to them. And if you miss that, you're going to miss everything that comes after it. This relationship and how it plays out matters. But we live in a world in which servant, I'm not a servant, or, or I can be a servant until someone treats me like a servant, and I'm not going to do that. Like, that. That's no good. And like, the, the Bible uses this intentionally. These people are not the owners of the house, right? They're servants. Like, we, today, we often talk about disciples. We're disciples of this, and we discipline ourselves in this. But the Bible uses those things almost interchangeable at times. And for a picture like this parable, that's how it is. These disciples. So let me define disciple for you. And we've said this numerous times. I hope, I hope this is your tattoo. If you get one today, find that one someplace on you. Like A, a disciple is someone who is increasingly submitting all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. Increasingly submitting all of life to the empowering presence of Jesus Christ. So this is a fundamental aspect that we've got to rediscover if we're going to follow after Jesus. He is Lord. He is master. We are not. We're not. We don't get to do that. And so like, sometimes we, we like to say things. We're being formed in this culture of like, oh, to your own self be true, to your own heart be true. Like just follow your heart after these things. But like thought experiment for a second. If you just did that for one week, you're going to train wreck your life. 
If you did that for one day, you're going to blow up all these blessings in your life because our hearts lead us in certain ways. And they're not always bad, but if we just said, I'm a yes to everything I feel today, you're going to blow up your life. You see, the deforming work of consumerism, the deforming work of just following after whatever the heart wants, the heart gets, right? That deforming work rots us out from the inside. It hollows us out. And and then as we hollow out, nothing will ever fill it. it. Instead of filling, instead of finding satisfaction, it's just endlessly needs and endlessly wants. It's like a parasite inside of you that endlessly feeds, but never is full. And yet the counterwork of, of Jesus is something different. Galatians 5 says, for freedom, it is for freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so to be a servant is to be a disciple following after him knowing our place in this relationship, knowing our spot in every bit of it. But pick it up with me. It goes on. I'm gonna read it again in verse 14 into 15. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave the five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. And then he went away. So you've got several more things happening, right? And it's easy to get in this, and it's such a, a revealer where we're being, being deformed as consumerists that so many of us, myself included, my, my heart runs to like, well, why did that guy get five and this guy got two? Or worse, this guy got one. Like, is that fair? Is that fair? It's just a revealer of my dark heart that is uh, gripped at times by uh, consumerism. It's like, well, I wouldn't want five, right? And so would you. You would want five and not one. We start to read this and, and we think about it as talent. Like we live in this Western world, we hear the word talent and it gets reduced to like, oh, that's a talented person or like a show, like America's got talent and, and these people are really special and, and missing what it actually is. This, like this master gifted these servants. And in the context of it, it's actually a, a breakdown of financing. And that breakdown, if somebody smart actually broke down what that would equate to in today's economy. And it's something like a million and a half dollars. It's like a million and a half dollars per talent on this. It's like what we miss in the story when we're like, wait, is that fair? Why did that guy get five? And why did this guy get two? Is that we miss the exceedingly over-the-top generosity right here of the master. And we compartmentalize and say, well, that person's got talents. I don't have talents. And what we get in the text is that, no, this, this master is so over the top generous. He's so good. He's so kind. He so lavishes on them. And, but it's not theirs, right? It's entrusted to them to be used wisely. 
And so before we move on, before we move on, we do need to do a little bit of practical work. Like how do we actually walk out? Like what are some practical ways to walk out this mindset, to move from thinking like the illusion of, well, I'm the owner now. It all came to me. It's all mine. I've got five talents, right? How do we move from that to the reality of stewardship? And let me just give you a couple things. Remember who the master is and that the master actually owns everything. The Bible again and again tells us this. He owns a cattle of a thousand hills, which is like this metaphor for it's all his. Everything under the sun is his. He's the master of all of it. Remember, he owns everything and he is generous in trusting us with it. But secondly, recognize that all of life is a sacred trust. It's not just do whatever you want today. It's not just follow my own heart where it leads and, and then I'll tell others, like, here's the decision I made. I'm gonna go after my heart. I'm gonna go after my heart. No, it's a sacred trust that we're carrying out. We get to walk together. That God has given us something to pay close attention to and to use wisely. That's, that is our resources. That is our, our, our finances for sure. But it's so much more than that. It's our time. It's, our, it's the way we use our time. It's our relationships. It's, it's our spiritual gifts, the, the spiritual gifts that God has given us. It's our jobs. We live in a, a world where it's even our bodies. It's even our bodies we're called to entrust, we're entrusted with. We're not the owners of all these things. And so, so I, I think one third thing that I would tell us to do is to move from a mindset of entitlement and to one of gratitude. And here's what I mean by that. He gave of what he owned to his servants. He, the, the master gives of what he owns to his servants. That's actually grace. That's a kindness being poured out right there. To stop and say like, whoa, wait, wait, wait a second. I deserve more. Why don't I have this? Why don't I have that gift or that talent? Why don't I get that role or that position? If the, That is an attitude of entitlement that misses and is not walking in gratitude to the grace given. And so I don't know where you're at today, but I know how easy it is to be like, I'd really like that gift. I'd really like more of this. And for us to be faithful stewards and to see what's being played out, this changes how we live, is to be people who move from a mentality of entitlement to one of gratitude. Because the master is good. The master is good. And so we're increasingly submitting, right? We're increasingly submitting all of life. We're trying to do that. That's the faithfulness piece. That's a, that's this, faithfulness is a long journey and it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't, it doesn't just happen to us and we don't just luck in the faithfulness. It's something that we move towards. And when we're thinking about what does it look like to increasingly submit all of life. How do I walk out faithfulness in this? When we start to think about that, I want you to notice two things from the text that we so easily and quickly move past. It's in verse 16 through 18. I'm going to read. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. 
that he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. See, we're going to get to the fact that the person who dug a hole in the ground actually wasted the gift that was given to him. But before you get there, like, there, there are these people who are trying to walk out in faithfulness. And what you need to notice is it says, real quickly, it says, they went at once. Friends, there is an urgency to faithfulness. There is an urgency to faithfulness in which we're, we don't just say, like, hey, tomorrow I'll be faithful. Winnie the Pooh style. Tomorrow I'll do that. Tomorrow I get to do those things. Tomorrow I'll follow after Jesus. Tomorrow I'll take seriously this call to stewardship. Tomorrow I will believe. Tomorrow I will change my life. Tomorrow I'll stop drinking or looking at porn. Tomorrow I'll be faithful to my wife. No, you won't. There's an urgency to it. There's an urgency to stepping to recognizing the gift that has been given in your life and moving towards that. Moving towards using those things. And the second piece is that there's an intentionality to it. They recognized that they had something and they needed to use it. There is an intentionality to faithfulness. And we need those two things along the road while we're waiting for the master to return. We need those things in our life while we're waiting for this master to come back. We need the perspective that is brought to us because, why do we need that perspective? Why do we need urgency and intentionality? Because the master will come home and they will have to give an account. Because it wasn't ever theirs. They'll give an account, which leads us to our second point as we wrap this up. Faithful stewardship redefines the end that we are living towards. Look what he says. Here's the account given, and we get it in verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants, he came and he settled accounts. He settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. He didn't say, good investor, you did a great job with your money. He didn't say any of those things. He didn't say, man, you're really smart, good job, that stock paid off. No, he said, faithful servant. You'll hear that repeated. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Put a pin right there. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, again, here's where we see the deforming work of consumerism raise its head. Because we can read that and we're like, oh man, God really blessed them. If we do good things, God's going to pour out and double my blessing, right? He's going to double my blessing. And that's just the, that's the soup that we've been soaking in. It's the soup that we've been soaking in. 
because we miss the real beauty of it. We miss what's happening it is this isn't a conversation about like financial blessing. This isn't a conversation about like how good they did. This isn't a competitive conversation about like, well, this guy did better than this guy. No, this is something in which the reward is what? Enjoy your master's, enjoy your master's presence. Enjoy this rest. He has blessed you in abundance. Enter into the joy of your master. Man, see, here's the redefining. It's not, do I have more stuff than this guy? Do I have better stuff than this guy? Am I going to end up in the right place at the end of the story? Am I going to end up in the right space? Because I, I don't want to be in the wrong place, right? I don't want to be in the bad place, so to speak, as the TV show goes. I want to be in the good place. I want to be in the good place of all these things. It, here it is. It's not a, a, it's not a destination conversation right here. It's a relationship conversation. And I would humbly submit that the reason that we find ourselves not satisfied is that we're far too hollowed out by our, the consumerism of our day. And we're chasing something that was never intended to satisfy. What satisfy? Enjoy the rest of your master. It's a relationship, conversation. Enter into the joy of your master, which satisfies us with the riches of this. That joy, that's what the invitation is. He goes on, there's a, a laser focus on relationship, but that's not the end of the parable, is it? He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I know you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Now catch this, there's a period right there. Or a comma, rather. So I was afraid, you see my eyes are bad, I couldn't even tell the difference between a comma and a period. So I was afraid. That led him to it, right? Like I, I, I knew you, Master, you're a hard man. I knew you, you're a difficult guy and you do all these things. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You, I, I'm gonna spoil this a little bit. On the next to the last line, there, it ends with a question mark. It ends with a question mark. You, you know, you know this? You, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? That's what you know about me? That's what you think I am? That's who you think I am? You think I'm here just to make your life hard or to bang you with rules? That's who you think I am? Then if that's who you thought I was, you should have just like put it in the bank. Should have put it in the bank. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. And so take the talent from him 
and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant. Catch it. The difference between the faithful servant and the worthless servant. The difference is how they saw this relationship. He didn't see who the master was. And so he acted out of fear. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Parenthetically, not the joy of your master. You see, the, the steward wasn't judged for his failure as a steward. I mean, he kept the investment, didn't he? He failed as a steward for not knowing and trusting his master. He didn't see him clearly. He failed to see his master, and this is exactly why we're doing this counterformation study. Because so many of us are like, well, I've tried this Christian thing. I've gone through this, and I, I try to do this part, and kind of a little bit over here, and some of these things. And, and we missed the point. We're like, I'd like this gift. Why don't I have this gift or all these things? Why is this not fixed in my life, God? And we think somehow that we're the owners of this, this whole thing and we miss the point. That this great God, this master and Lord has poured out himself and because of all this deforming work, we're still operating and moving out of fear instead of out of relationship. And so let me, let me say this. This is why we need this study. First Corinthians, this book that we're gonna dive into here, starting next week, it says this. He just puts his finger right on it. Again, is a revealer of why all these things working together is for our good. It says this in verse four. This is how one should regard us. Us being, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. Servants. Not owners, not renters, not cohabitators. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. That they be found faithful. You see, a, a small vision of God leads us to kind of fearful reactions. A, a distorted, uh, malformed vision of God, a blind vision of God leads us to all sorts of weird actions that are not part of what he's called us to. And we wonder why we're not satisfied. We wonder why it just feels like a bunch of rules. It's because we've been hollowed out and it just keeps eating away at ourselves, even though we sing the right songs. But a big vision of God big vision of who this God is and what he has done. And friends, what has he done? While you and I were yet sinners, Christ died. Christ came, 
He lived, he walked, he died. Did he stop there? No, he rose again. We're told that your sin and my sin was nailed to the cross. And he pours out blessing on those who would follow after him and on those who don't. He is a generous, generous master. We just need to see him. And so over the next few weeks, here's the plan. In our community groups, we are entering in to looking at these deforming and counterforming works in our lives. We have this guide that our, our teams have prepared. Teams from all five congregations have, have worked on this. It is worth your time. If you went through uh, the, the first one on authority in the spring, uh, this is a blessing and this one is better. We learned a lot from that first time. This is better. But over the next eight weeks, this is full of liturgies and prayers and daily walking out. What does this look like to not just be a slave to consumerism, but to walk in your grace and your mercy as a steward of the mysteries of God? We do this in our conversations for the next four weeks, in our groups, but we do this as individuals alone with these little workbooks to help us walk through this. And if you're a member of our church, I want you to hear this plea from me. If you are a member of our church, I want to beg you, I want to plead with you to jump in and walk through this material with us. Walk through this material with us. If you are not in a community group, now is the time to jump in. Now is a great time to jump in. You will have all sorts of reasons why it's not a good time. I'm tired. We're busy. We've got all these things. Kids are nuts. There are a million reasons why we would, we would not do this. There are all those reasons. But they will never get easier. Will not get easier, I promise you. Following after Jesus with faithfulness requires urgency and intentionality. We're doing this so that we would see him, see him clearly. That our end is the joy, the joy of our master and sharing in his work. That at the end of our days, on the great day, that we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Will you pray with me?